Uh, our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. Hear the word of God. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Our hearts and minds are open. Amen. Good morning. My name is Michael Bowman. I'm a proud new member of this pastoral team here at Asbury and want to say welcome to those of you who are joining us online, but also welcome again to all of you. It is great to be with you in worship this morning, fire alarms and all. Um, I want to start this morning with a blessing. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. This phrase or this blessing comes from a Jewish, a collection of Jewish oral tradition, rabbinic sayings known as the Mishnah. The Mishnah can be thought of as kind of the Jewish New Testament, if you will. And this blessing is referring to the kind of relationship that a rabbi or a teacher would have with their Talmud, Hebrew word here, Talmud or Talmudim in plural, which just simply means followers, disciples, students, or apprentices. And to start off our time together today, I want to help us have a better understanding of what that relationship was like, a better understanding of how you would become a follower of a rabbi. Um, and to do that, I need to make sure that you all got some honey. Did everybody get some honey? If you can raise your hand if you did not get one. Okay, just hold it and have it, thank you, have it ready, perfect. We'll get to the honey. I know there's a lot of questions about the honey. We will get to it, so just hold on. In Jesus' day, education was a really big deal. Now, education is still important today, but particularly in the time of Jesus, education in Jewish culture was central to who they were. It was the center of life in their community. So boys and girls would begin school around the age of six, and they would enter into the school known as Bet Sefer, Bet Sefer. Bet Sefer simply just means house of the book. And you would, uh, from the age of six to about the age of 10, remain in Bet Sefer. And you would be, the whole time you were in Bet Sefer, you would be learning and studying and memorizing the whole of the Torah, which for us uh, are the books that we know as Genesis, Exodus, 
Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all memorized by the age of 10. Do you think that you could do that? By the way, this is still practiced in Jewish schools even today. I think you could do it. All right, so take out your honey. And for those of you online, or if you're joining with us online, then I would uh, ask that you would just hit pause on this video and go grab some honey or something from your cabinet. Everyone else, let's open this packet of honey very gently here. It's pure craft goodness, you know. And what I want you to do is I want you to take a nice little glob of honey. This is, look, by the way, if this gets messy, it's your fault, not mine. This is all on you. You can put as little or as much honey as you want, but I want you to place it on your finger. That's pretty good. And hold it there for a second. Has everybody got it? We're not gonna start till we all get honey. We got it? Hold it on your finger just for a second. Honey was seen as the most pleasurable, most desirable, maybe even the most treasured item that one could have, okay? Children loved honey. Why? Because it was sweet. It was candy for these children. On the very first day of class when you were six years old, this was a bad idea, Robert, I'm sorry. This is gonna get all over this. This is gonna get all over the stage. Jeremiah Band, I'm sorry. Um, Oh boy. So on the very first day of Bet Sefer, you would come in at six years old and the rabbi would walk into your room with some honey and the eyes would perk up. The rabbi would take the honey and place it, like smother it all over each child's slate, what they used to write on. Naturally, the honey got all over the kids, all over their hands, probably all over their clothes, but the parents probably knew it was coming, it was fine. So they would take this honey, the rabbi would smother it all over their slates, and then once he got done with the last child's slate of smothering this honey all over it, it was obviously all over the children, and then the rabbi would say to them, okay, class, lick the honey. So class, lick off the honey. Yeah, it's really not bad. And as they were looking off this honey, the rabbi would say these words, may the words of God be like honey on your tongue. May the words of God be the most pleasurable, most desirable, most treasured thing that you could possibly ever understand. See, you would be taught here from the very beginning of your educational journey, first day of class in Bet Sefer, you would be taught from the very beginning that there was absolutely nothing greater than taking the words of God and bringing them deep into your very being you would be introduced to the scriptures with the use of all five of your senses, right? You can see it, you've touched it, you can taste it, you can smell it, and then you would hear the rabbi's blessing over you as you tasted this really sticky honey. Isn't that wonderful? I know we have some educators in the room and I'm sure you're brilliant. But my goodness, tactical learning on day one is perfect. So then at age 10, with the Torah memorized, you would leave Bet Sefer, especially if you're kind of at the top of the class, and you would move into the next phase of education, which was known as Bet Talmud. Bet Talmud just simply means house of learning. And a couple things would happen in Bet Talmud. One, 
you would put to memory the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, which by the way, is all, if I can open my Bible, all 39 books of our Old Testament, totally put to memory. Not just the first five books, we're not playing around anymore. By the age of 14, when most of us are entering high school, you would have our entire Old Testament put to memory. Again, do you think you could do this? I really bet you could. Also, around the age of 12, so about halfway through Bet Talmud, you would learn the Jewish practice known as question and answer. Now, question and answer isn't what it sounds like. It's actually more like question and question because what would happen is a rabbi or somebody would ask you a question and then your response, your answer would be given in the form of a question. For example, today, if someone was to ask you, what is one plus one? Well, you wouldn't say two, even though you'd be right. You would respond by saying, well, what is eight divided by four? Are we catching on? This would be the Jewish practice of uh, question and answer. You had learned this around the age of 12. So we know this is taking place even with Jesus because there's that story in the Gospels where he's with his family for the Passover feast. They're all in Jerusalem. His family leaves and about three days later, they realize they left the Son of God back in Jerusalem and they, how do you lose the Son of God? Um, they come back to Jerusalem. They find Jesus. Where is he? Does anybody remember? He's in the temple. What's he doing? He's doing question and answer with the teachers. How old is he? 12. Bet Talmud. Jesus, of course, also continues this practice in his own rabbinic ministry. Of course, we have countless times where people are coming up to Jesus in the Gospels and they're asking him all these questions. Sometimes they're trying to trip him up. Sometimes they just want to know his answer, like what would his interpretation of a text be or something like that. And Jesus usually, like 90% of the time, will respond with, have you ever noticed this? Another question. In fact, I could be getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure there are only three times in the gospel where Jesus responds to a question with a flat out answer. Every other time it's in the form of a question. So Bet Talmud, you're memorizing the rest of the Hebrew scriptures and you're learning the practice of question and answer. Now, if you were the best of the best at the end of Bet Talmud, if you were like Ivy League caliber student, my wife 4.0 plus type student, if you were at the top of the class, then you could enter into what was known as Bet Midrash. Bet Midrash can actually be translated as study hall. Now, not everybody got to move on to Bet Midrash. If you were a young woman, sorry ladies, you got married at this time. Your educational journey was over. If you weren't top tier, if you weren't top of the class and you were a guy, then you would go work the family trade. You would learn some type of profession and you would enter the workforce. But if you were high caliber, you had what it took kind of student, then you would approach a well-known rabbi, a famous rabbi, and you would ask them, and this is important, you would ask that rabbi if you could be their follower, if you could be their Talmud if you could be a disciple of this rabbi. What would happen then is this rabbi wouldn't just let you in automatically. The rabbi would begin to interview you. In fact, really, they begin to grill you on the Hebrew scriptures. Do you have them memorized? If you do, can you do question and answer? If you can, how well do you know this stuff? 
And if the rabbi decided at the very end of it that you could become like him, then he would utter to you an invitation of three simple words. Come, follow me. And you would. You would give up everything to follow after this rabbi. You would leave behind family, your home, your community, your friends, life as you knew it, to follow this rabbi because what rabbis would do is they would go from town to town teaching their way. You would follow this rabbi everywhere this rabbi went. And you would follow so closely that you could, or for the sake of becoming like them, hence the old Jewish saying, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. See, the idea is that as the rabbi was walking from town to town, there was a lot of dirt that you'd be walking on and a lot of dust would be getting kicked up here in the desert. And as the dust would kick up from the sandals that the rabbi would be wearing, you wanted to be so close that that dust was cloaking your outer garments. Literally, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The idea is that if the rabbi turned left, you would turn left. If the rabbi decided to jump, you would jump. If the rabbi decided to break out in prayer, you broke out in prayer. There's actually recordings of this. If the rabbi was to go to the bathroom and go into the stall, where do you think you went? You went into the stall. Because you wanted to know everything that the rabbi knew. You wanted to do everything the way that the rabbi did it. Why? Because this rabbi believes that you can become like him. This rabbi believes that you are truly gifted, that you have high value, that you are Ivy League caliber. And this is exactly what's going on when Jesus calls his own disciples. Robert read this passage from uh, a moment ago for us, but I wanna read it again in light of everything you now know, okay? With a taste of honey still in your mouth, hear these words. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Of course they did. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets, and he called them at once. What words do you think he said? Anybody? Yeah, come follow me. And they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee, their own dad, in the boat with the hired men. Of course they did. Now, did you notice what Andrew, Simon, James, and John were all doing when Jesus called them? Fishing, yes. The family trade. They were at work, which tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that at some point they didn't make it. Either they dropped out after Bet Sefer because they couldn't get the Torah down. Or maybe it was around the age of 12, that whole question and answer thing just wasn't making sense. Or maybe after Bet Sefer, they tried to go on to Bet Midrash and talk to a rabbi, but no rabbi ever said to them, Come follow me. See, they were not good enough, they didn't have what it took until Jesus showed up. And Jesus comes along the shoreline and he calls out those words that they had always longed to hear. Of course, they dropped everything and immediately followed Jesus. Now, let's get this clear. It wasn't because there was something compelling about Jesus. No one knew who he was. He's from a small town called Nazareth. He grew up with a construction worker for a dad. That's probably what he did a little bit on the side. 
Nobody knows this. Isaiah talks about this coming Messiah. Now, if he is talking about Jesus, he says like he wasn't all that to look at. He's not a compelling dude. I mean, when he starts talking, sure. But just walking along the shoreline, there's nothing intriguing, nothing mysterious. No, it's because he was a rabbi and he was choosing you. That is, he's inviting you to follow him. And in doing so, he's saying that you are the best of the best. You are of great worth and great value. I believe that you can become like me. How do we know this? Because the very next thing he says after follow me is, I will make you fish, or I will teach you how to fish for people. Or your translation might say, I'll make you fishers of men. Weird statement, right? Like, okay, so you want me to grab my nets and like hook and reel some dudes in off the street? This is not the idea that Jesus is getting on. In fact, what that means, especially in this day and age, this was a common way for rabbis to say that I will make you a great teacher like me. I will make you a great rabbi like me. The phrase has great worth behind it. It has great value behind it. Even more in this phrase, he's expressing the value and the promise that he saw in these people. There's a passage in John's gospel, you might remember. John 15, I think it's verse 16. He's sitting with his disciples and he says, remember that time um, I chose you. You did not choose me. I chose you. This is commonly used by reformed, uh, our reformed brothers and sisters, like Calvinists, those who believe like solely in predestination. This is commonly the text that they use. Like, even Jesus is talking about how he predestined who he chose. That's not what this is talking about. No offense. I love our reformed brothers and sisters. But Jesus is sitting with those individuals who he personally called. And he says, remember that time? Remember, we said this a second ago. Commonly, if you wanted to enter into Bet Midrash, you had to go to the rabbi and say, can I follow you? But what did Jesus do? He went to them. He said, come follow me. They didn't seek him out. He chose them. And then in John 14, verse 12, a whole chapter before that, He's expressing this value that he sees in them even more. He says, whoever believes in me will do the same things that I have done. Now that is a big statement. Let's think about the things that Jesus has done. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He performed all these big miracles. He gave sight to the blind. The the lame could now walk. He raised a guy from the dead. The same things, Jesus? You're saying we can do the same things you did? And then he's like, yeah, but let me add something to that. Even greater things. You will do even greater things than I have done. Of course they dropped their nets and followed Jesus. A rabbi had picked them out of everyone else. A rabbi sees something in them that they do not even see in themselves. Who would not want to follow? But friends... This means we have to follow. There's a statement or or a part of Dallas Willard's book, The Great Omission. He has this little line where he says something pretty profound. If you haven't read The Great Omission, get it or come to me and borrow it. Dallas Willard reveals in The Great Omission, he says, the greatest issue facing the world today. Think about that. The greatest issue Facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs 
is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. That is the greatest issue facing our world today. We know about hunger, we know about the disease, we know about poverty, we know about war. And Willard is saying the greatest issue facing our world today amongst all of those other things is that those who would claim to be Christian, whether it's Facebook status, Bible Belt, live, like because you live in the Bible Belt, you, you know, just call yourself a Christian by culture or profession, whether those who actually claim to be a Christian will truly follow Jesus. The greatest issue whether those who claim to be Christians will become students, apprentices of the rabbi Jesus. There is a difference between calling yourself a Christian and truly following Jesus. See, I think an apprentice of Jesus means three things. It means being with Jesus. It means becoming like Jesus. And it means doing what Jesus did. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. It's in the making of time. It's giving ourselves the space to simply be with our rabbi, that we might listen to him and learn from him, so that with the Spirit's help, as Paul says in Galatians, we might become formed more and more into the likeness of Christ, become more and more like our rabbi. And then once that happens, we then become naturally the people who do the things that Jesus did, even greater things, as he tells us. And to this point, Dallas Willard again says, Jesus does not call us to do what he did, but to be as he was, permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. This is the natural result of a life lived in step with Jesus, that we would become like our rabbi and do what he did. That we would become a people permeated with love. Today we're gonna receive communion. Through the bread and the cup, we will receive the body and blood of Jesus. And before we do, there was one bit of this whole rabbi-talmud relationship that I left out, but it's important. See, a rabbi's way of interpreting the scriptures or their teachings, the, what they taught when they would go from town to town, that was known as the rabbi's yoke. Jesus himself would have a yoke. That's why we see Jesus going from town to town and teaching these certain things. And a rabbi's Talmud or their follower, student, disciple, apprentice, whatever word you want to use, your job was to take upon the yoke of your rabbi. This is why we hear Jesus give this beautiful invitation in Matthew 11. He says, you might remember it. Come to me, all of you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Like any good rabbi would say to their followers, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. He says, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The yoke of our rabbi is being offered to us today. 
We are invited when we come to this table to lay down the burdens that have weighed so heavily upon us and to take on the yoke of our rabbi, which he promises to be easy and light. So as you come to the table this morning, and I'm gonna do that now, as you come to the table this morning, I want you to feel free to bring every bit of your baggage with you to bring whatever it is that you feel like you've been just dragging along with you for so long, carrying it all on your own, bring it with you and place it at the feet of Jesus. Just let go of it. He will take it. And instead, receive from Jesus this easy and light yoke that he so badly wants to give it to you. He promises even further to give you rest. So at this table this morning, my hope is that we would come and receive the yoke of Jesus, and that we would discover rest for our souls. 